I was starting to lie and I was starting to act out. I stopped caring. Let me play my part. Check two eight. Like, is that real? Did that happen? Like, <laughs> the structure of your brain actually changes. And do you still feel that every day? And then it got time for guitars. Eating disorder, like, I didn't want to die. Tendencies. But I didn't want to live. Yeah. Girl. You gotta go in the hospital. You feel powerless to the body has a fear reaction. The opportunity to empower. No one can take away my power. I won't take myself out. Artists that are true like that, those are the ones that tend to like create change. a little bit earlier about like the human capacity to cope and like the double-edged sword with trauma is not only does it give you more than a person can cope with but it also takes away some of that ability to cope at the same time it's like shutting down someone's water while you're burning their house down like what a time to lose the fucking water do you see what i'm trying to say yeah. and we talked a little bit about did <clears throat> what happened to you take away or adjust some of your ability to cope with just regular you know, the horrors of life, losing a friend, grief, right. um, any kind of life stress. Yeah. You know? Uh, I think the best way and is to tell you what happened and to tell, to, uh, uh, to explain to the audience and because uh, um, it all ties into what you're saying. And it all starts with being just developing a brain. Um, first, uh, uh, you know, I came to Minnesota when I was five years old. Uh, with a single mom who came over from from Winnipeg, and uh, she came with some friends, her best friend and their family. We stayed with them till my mom could get her own apartment. All the while, my mother uh, was working two jobs uh, just to support me, um, and uh, she wasn't able to be around a lot. Uh, not, but she wasn't around. She wasn't gone fifteen hours a day, but you know, nevertheless. Um, so her parents were passed away from cancer pretty much back to back. My father, uh, who they divorced at three years, I was three, uh, was, had disowned his family, Jewish family, for the, his own reasons um, and became isolated. And, and basically the demons that surrounded him had a lot to feed on. And he allowed that and he became a very mean person. Uh, I watched this completely loving guy at one point go from that to the meanest, coldest person you've ever seen and very book smart, very righteous in the sense of equality for people. Mm. But at the same time, uh, so um, that he was not supportive of my mother and my mother was by herself. She comes from a f big family where there was a mother's mother and grandmother. Everybody was in the house. So at this time that... You know, at this time, I'm watching death. I'm watching, I'm being moved around the country and, and watching people struggle. And I think that cemented a memory for me. I remember my mom always was very affectionate, always showed love, had a great moral compass, lots of character, met the wrong people in her life. And nevertheless, uh, the incident happened. Um, to be honest with you, I, I, I'm a harder time placing an exact age, either six or seven. I know I was in like Carter onesie pajamas when it first happened. I remember saying, no, stop, no, stop. And I was forced, I was overwhelmed. And the second time, and there, and it went all the way, if we need to say penetration yet. But it went to the limit. And, um, and it continued, and continued to the point where, and I was told I would be hurt if, if, uh, if I said anything, and I never said anything. I, my mom's, you know, I think there was, uh, the first time I thought I said anything, I was 17, but my mom reminded me of a time I did tell her on uh, earlier than that. And I'm not sure what was done about it. I, I think... I think she had a hard time digesting the whole thing herself. Um, 
I, I, you know, I love my mom dearly, but I don't think it's fair to speak for her, so I won't. Um, uh, I, and there was a lot of there was a lot of things going on with me at this time. I at the time it happened, I was already, and I don't know if I started doing this before or after, but I was starting to lie and I was starting to act out. I was starting to take things from department stores. Uh, I was stopped. I stopped caring. Something flipped, snapped. But you don't remember if it was... I don't know. remember if it was before or after. But I do know that I was already losing trust in my role models. In the teachers around me at school, people, kids were malicious. I was bullied constantly. Um, you know, I went through all those things that people, kids go through. And I became a bully, trying to fit in. You did. Oh, yeah. I became, there was a couple of, I, I, I just thought about this the other day, actually, about a kid that I hurt physically. That was trying to be my friend, and I'm trying to like link like roots to my to some of my issues. And I, I was maybe second grade, third grade when I did this. And how often can we say, "Oh, we didn't know any better"? I can't. I don't know. But that was weird. These are certain weird things that I did that you know weren't all that different from other kids I'd see. But bottom line, I'm not thinking about these other kids. I'm thinking about me. So. It was all right around the same time, though. Um, this is where I can't put the timeline quite together. I suppose if I really wanted to give it some thought, I could, because I remember when I started acting out, certain instances. Would you, did you feel like the bullying piece was more an anger thing or more a fitting in thing? Both. But primary, uh Does it even have some semblances like when the guy pushes the girl because he likes her? You know how regular you hear about that all the time growing up, little which is kids. weird. Yeah. So was I just part of it being a little kid? Part of it was anger. Part of it, sure, I'm sure to some degree that I haven't uh, microscoped yet. Yeah, it doesn't have to be one or the other. I was just wondering if like, you saw question. other people great doing question. it and were like, well, maybe all these people have friends and they're a little bit rougher and they push people around, they throw their weight around. I wonder what would happen if I did that. Would I have more friends? I don't know. Well, you hit upon uh, something very important. And this is the hardest part for me to swallow. And I really hope it help it, it helps other people out to admit it out loud. But with the sexual abuse, I was so insecure and I had no... And they... What's the term that they use now when they make you so aware of your own problems that you think it's all your fault? Gaslighting? Is that the proper term? Gaslighting is... Uh eroding another person's reality like if someone had said to you if you had a disclosure experience yep. where someone said to you that's not what happened remember you watched a movie really right oh, before you went to sleep right. you watched Basically a movie with that crazy, in it and yeah. that's and now you it's it's a fake memory in your head yeah they tell you you're crazy well i had something similar those really? were the kind of similar thought patterns i wouldn't say it would be gaslighting then but it was at least unhealthy like that where it was my thoughts to myself were I mean, I would be called names by my babysitter. I'd be completely like, you you, you know, you come from a problem family. You're a problem. You're a problem for us to be. You're lucky we're babysitting you. That's what you I would were, hear. After they did that to you, yeah, they said after. you're lucky that the they were The guy hit there. me with a ruler so hard on my back, he broke the ruler. You know, I mean, you know, uh, classic things where I was like, why is this happening to me? Um, and... Uh, I know my, you know, my parents never gave him permission to hit me physically. Um, now don't get me wrong, folks. I probably did a few things in my life that I probably deserved, you know, to be shaken and, and, and put the fear of, you know, retribution put in me, but nobody deserves violence. Within the regular frame of discipline, right. you don't break a physical object on a kid's right. back. And especially, and it's, it wasn't even your own kid. You know, there's no, I mean, not that that would matter anyway, but I'm still trying to wrap my head around that one. But, um, I, uh, so the hardest part for me to, to swallow, and I'm kind of trying to blurt this one ahead just to kind of put it out there, was I was so insecure, wanted to be liked so bad that I actually started to accept the abuse as well I'm being liked. Now, dancers or gentlemen that work at gentlemen's clubs, I ask you, is that what you feel when you, when you're up there that you're being liked and that. Hey, at least I'm being touched, or at least someone's showing me attention. 
Or she's and, just paying the bills. Or we just paying the bills. Now, I use that because I have worked at a, at a dance club for a number of years. And Did you see some of that psychology? Oh, like, I, there's I, at least I'm getting attention. I saw a lot of the, the stigmas. And I, I would, uh, not that I was always a good guy, don't get me wrong, but at least half, more than half the time we'd just talk. Yeah. And I'd try to work out my own stuff with them. Well, when you say you weren't a good guy, I mean, you didn't like, you never did anything like you forcing yourself I'm just talking about doing drugs. No. I'm just talking about doing drugs with girls and, you know, the things that happen in that environment. You know, not any different than a lot of people, but I wasn't that bad guy that would, like, take advantage of an abused woman and then exploit it. And I did see a lot of that. And hence why I don't work in those environments any longer. Um, And the weirdest part about it is I felt when I was at working at... Sex world, and when I was working at Rick's Cabaret, um, that I was one of them. Yeah. And I felt like I could be more myself. Um, that didn't always work out exactly. It actually worked against me because I like to do drugs. Oh. And when I'm on drugs, I'm never myself. That's interesting. I wonder if um, I've never been on a mind altering substance except I had my teeth out and they gave me Percocet. It wasn't interesting. I only fell asleep. So I always wonder, like, do people in an altered state, do they think that they're being more authentic because the inhibitions are gone? Like, do they feel that that's the genuine, oh, this is really what life feels like because now my inhibitions are gone. I don't know how they feel. I can answer that for myself. myself. Great question. What was the time in my life? So the deal with cocaine, ecstasy is on another level is your, your brain basically quits making the chemical that makes you feel happy or pleasurable. You've already replaced it with this chemical. But when that chemical wears off, the, the, the cocaine, your brain doesn't start making the actual chemical that makes you feel better, so you become depressed. And what would happen with that is I would feel pain. And it would force me to feel pain. It would force me to think about all the things I don't want to think about because I'm coming down and feeling terribly sorry for myself. And I'm feeling like a shitty person. Well, that's when I started doing flowcharts. Well, why don't we just think about all the bad stuff that happened to me? And I started doing that. And when I was drinking to come down and to circumvent the pain of my brain not making. And also I was embarrassed. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there in front of friends Basically coming down like I'm an infant. Yeah. You know, I'm coming down like what you see, junkies. I was a junkie. Yeah. And I was coming down. But I, to answer your question, a lot part of it, I would deal with coming down by making myself feel the pain then. I would like turn it around, flip the script. And I'd like, well, why don't you think about everything bad that happened to you now that you're thinking about other stuff. Instead of thinking about trying to get more, let's think about because that's not going to happen. Why don't we think about all the bad stuff? Where did it start? You're going to spend eight hours staying up, staring at the TV, hoping to fall asleep. Why don't we... I used to do these huge paper flow charts of Physically all... Physically with a pen. And I put dates and num- years of where when the abuse started and when my mom got a divorce and like when I started acting out. I used to make, make timelines. Um, and I would do this all the way up until that point. So yeah, there's some degree of... I, not necessarily in the way that you would put it where I'd feel better, but I'd force myself to feel pain. I was going to ask, were you doing that to punish yourself or were you doing that to find some answers? Well, Because people I, can get addicted to hurting themselves. Yeah, right? I got addicted to the drama. Um, basically, as long as I was, uh, I would have a ritualistic of feeling pain of how the ritual would go when I was doing drugs, like, I, okay, I'd come down, then I'd go through that freak out period, then I'd feel this pain, then I'd go through this and I'd go through that. And as long as I was going through that constantly, I never had to deal with myself. And once you get to zero, now I'm at that point of dealing with, <clears throat> which is myself, which we come full cycle to. But back then, yeah, was absolutely, I would, I would, uh, I would immerse myself into drama, to, and so I didn't have to deal with anything, which in the end created more issues. It wasn't really introspection for, in a therapeutic sense, or <sighs> it was redundant. Just- yeah. Super redundant, thinking that I was being psych- psychologically smart, thinking I was making the most out of this coming down. I mean, I did learn a lot. Don't get me wrong. I did because your brain is running at a very high speed at that point. On cocaine. Yeah, on, on, on those these types of drugs I was doing. However, 
in the end, I created more mass and more denial and more uh, uh, blocks. And, and I break bridges emotionally in my brain because I was still not being me. I was still being an idea of somebody or, you know, we were saying breakdown inhibitions. Well, yeah, uh, in certain, uh, I, yes, in certain, uh, you know, the women I would date or breakdown inhibitions then, I wouldn't have to. Play, I wouldn't have to play a chess game to be physical. I would Just say whatever you want to. Him, or ch- you know, as long, I was always a nice guy. It was, believe it or not, worked against me half the time. I hear about that. Yeah, and it worked against me. Uh, but again, it comes down to different psychological patterns people have. You know, uh, some people find it easier to be with a guy that they don't really can't really attach to. You know, if you're a little meaner, you know, then they can just forget about it. Or, you know, that other person might be dealing with some other things, too, and they tend to get drawn to, but I'm not here to speak for them anyway. Did you but, have an easier time connecting, maybe not on a deep, profound level, but just superficially connecting with a woman when you were more of a jerk? Uh, no. Um, I'm trying to pick up on what you just said. Okay. Uh, if I was a little meaner, um, arrogance can come across as confidence, and and... I think that there's this, ultimately in the end of the day, I'm, a, I'm the hunter and women are the nurse, right? And, and I'm talking about in the bar that I worked at, I'm talking about the bar goers, big drinkers, you know, that lifestyle. I'm not talking about everybody here, but I can only speak about my experiences. And, and I'm not using saying general experiences as an outclasser. I used to, I say, oh, generally speaking, <laughs> you know, that would be my outclass so I won't get pigeonholed. Or um, Yes, I am compartmentalizing a little bit. However, you know, we're all fl- flawed up. Let's put it that way, flawed up. That's not even a word, but we're all. I like that. We're all flawed up. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so if I was a mom, my mom decided to re- try to raise the perfect gentleman. And that didn't work for me either um, in this part. But I had to realize, and before I go on with this, that I wanted to be liked by everybody. I wanted approval by everybody. So I tried to become everything to everybody. And I, would, I was insecure enough. I was selling the man that they wanted as opposed to being the man that they wanted for, for my relationships. And that's while I created an aesthetic of awesomeness, the safety that... Um, you know, I date women, so I can only speak with women. The women, the safety went, the woman wanted from that strong guy wasn't there. So I became a wild card. But to answer your question about, like, what, if I would have been more of a jerk, yeah, I, pro- I definitely would have been able to uh, do the dance with no pants a little bit more. Uh, but um, I, in the end... Um, what came across as confidence was arrogance, and arrogance doesn't last. And neither does it with me because I never believed it in myself anyway. Yeah. Um, being the fact that I was a musician with long hair and, you know, I had a certain look and certain, I was a bartender, you know, I could, I had more opportunity to come my way. Um, but uh, on the other side, you heard me say something about, well, if a woman gets attracted to somebody who's a jerk, then if things don't work out, there's really not that much of attachment going on. I'd see that a lot. I would hear that a lot. I even had a woman turn me down going, I really like you. And that's the problem. And I'm like, whoa. And this was like a woman who works as a, what do you call that word? Natural childbirth doula? A doula or something? Oh, she's uh, a midwife? Yeah, but there's another word, odula or doula or something. Anyway, she was in this perfectly like, healthy kind of like midwife kind of person or helping people. I mean, this one girl had all the, the paperwork perfect, but I could, so, you know, it got again, confusing. Yeah. So which person should I be? You know, and I never wanted, and some things are by design. I, I hate to say how you show up at, at the office, how you show up on a date, how you show up here. But if you start being somebody you're not, and the hardest part about that was, I didn't even know who I was. I'm Josh the Rocker. Am I Josh this? Just become somebody. And I became Josh the Wild Card. Yeah. Um, but I can't answer what their intention was. I can only speak uh, about what I've been told. I mean, I guess 
you know, or that I've experienced. And I've seen a lot of confusing behavior on both sides where I'm like, how do I act? And I think that becomes harder on men and women, particularly trauma survivors, of which person are we going to allow you to see? Which person is safe for you to see? And how much trust do I put in? Because I've got, for me, and I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but if I hear the word abandoned one more time, I, that's when I start feeling weak. And that's not yeah. the right way to feel. It's just a word. But I feel like, you know, uh, I was watching this movie called Bulletproof Monk yesterday. It was an okay movie, but it, was, it had some great messages. And part of it is this guy lost his family, so he says, fine, I'll be one without I'll be, I'll be okay. I'll be my own family. And that was his coping mechanism. But he was pickpocketing other people and was okay with that until he met a monk who guided him towards his true destiny. Mm -hmm. So I think our, what I got took away from that is these, our true destinies get confused and altered by some of these everyday realities we're dealing with. And the reality of it is, is there's a lot of animals out there that masquerade as, as, as human beings because we are, first of all, mammals. Second, <clears throat> a lot of these people have really bad childhoods and really, uh, I mean, a perpetrator is a perpetrator. You're either racist or you're not. Either you're a perpetrator or you're a perpetrator. I have at this time, though, tried to have not under a, a bit of understanding to the psychological part. I don't know if it's helping me to forgive or help me to understand but I do think about where are they coming from and how were they raised, such as a racist person who's been drip-fed Fox News all his life. You know, I mean, he's never had the opportunity, or nor has he, and I think this is where that word privilege comes in, been forced to have to step out of his own shoes. There goes my chance to get a Fox News anchor on this show. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. But, uh, my big I know, goal. Right? My big goal is just banished in the air. Oh, my no, that goodness. That makes a lot of sense. When you said a minute ago, what version of myself am I going to let someone see? It's so true. You know, if yeah. you're a person who wakes up and you just wonder the first thing you, your eyes open, you're like, how am I going to face this day? It's hard to know what face to put on because you can't wait until you're ready to go out there and face the world. You have to work when it's time to start working. Yeah. You work when the clock hits. And if you're not ready, like you said, act as if, you know, yeah, but sometimes acting, acting as if can be like, I call it a false face to the world. Or sometimes I might call it like an avatar, but you put on this fake face like things are basically okay. Oh. I remember what the AA had taught me before is that a lot of times you may not believe what you're doing, but you got to keep doing it till it becomes you. If it's positive. If, if it's positive. Uh, osmosis. Mm. Hanging around certain people who are positive and that you can learn from, who, as uh, as they said in Star Trek, uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm, I watch a lot of Big Bang Theory. It's okay for you to like it too. Um, as, <laughs> as, uh, uh, these relationships very well can define who we actually are through these friendships. Um, but yeah, it's, it's real, it's, it can be very taxing to, to try to, you know, and I think this is where, um, and I reach out and part of the reason I'm, I'm, I'm doing this program is because it can become taxing enough where we don't want to live anymore. Yeah. And I'm doing this because I feel, I wouldn't, I won't take myself out, but there have been many moments and I think there still will be more where I'm just like, this is too much. This is too much. And I have to really search for the worth or a purpose. Or I'll just have to say, hey, uh, that window is gone. I accept that. But what window is here? What am I supposed to be doing? And in the end, uh, it just keeps saying to myself, well, you're supposed to be helping people. And that's what brings me on the program. Um, As someone who's been to the edge... Um you know, you know, you and I have had a lot of conversations when we were in darker times and because of your, your past and things that uh, you were facing just after Cal passed right when we met, I felt like if I was in a really dark space, I could call you and not be judged. You yes. know, I could call you and be like, man, this is like, have you thought about it today? And you'd be like, yeah, I think about it every day, but I'm not, <clears> I'm not, I'm not going to clock out. Yeah. You know, we could call and go there with each other. Yeah. For someone who maybe is listening to this tonight and doesn't have someone that they can go there with. What do you suggest for people who are facing that choice right now? Do I continue or not? Well, um, you know, that's thank God we can edit this. Um, did I just put you on the spot? No, no, I'm trying. This is like, you know, uh, 
uh, I would say It's a hard one because uh, people already know they can. You, pe- people, you know, you can. You can always call. There's those hotlines, and yeah, it's all. It's, it's like, it's like, how do I get the energy to pick up the phone to call the hotline? And I think the best thing I can offer is remember the times people gave you a hug, or the times people said they loved you. Remember. Try to remember any of those good times. Wow. Um, trying to remember the people that even that you thought didn't like you. Try to remember the good things they said about you. Um, I remember I said something very hurtful to my mom. And I was just devastated. I still am devastated by what I said. And we, did, we don't have a, a, a standard stock relationship in terms of how we talk to each other. Sometimes it's not respectful mother to son, son to mother. It's just person to person it was an odd relationship um and i apologized for it and i was i made sure i was the first person to call back and that was hard to say i'm sorry are you okay um and i would do that to myself i would pretend to call myself and say i'm sorry are are you okay and i'd have a conversation with myself now granted for some people this may not be so healthy but Remember the times people said they loved you. Remember the the moments, not that, you know, that make you happy, but also the things, and what I'm trying to do is get the emotions to calm down, is whatever it takes to get that emotions to calm down. Um, uh, be, however, because if I don't do that for myself, I'm going to start thinking of ways to hurt myself. It's either going to be thinking of good things or thinking of bad things. Um, the problems come when we can't stop the obsession or the compulsion. And that's something, you know, I learned in Alcoholics Anonymous is where to put the stop signs. Stop signs is sort of like obsessing. If you start obsessing about something for longer than a minute, you need to put a mental stop sign in, in there. Well, however you do it, railroad stop sign, stop sign, a visual. That's what I did anyway. And... Um, I, I force myself to think about something else or I pray to whatever spirit of God you have. Just start, you know, doing something else because then I'm going to start obsessing and spiraling. And, uh, you know, you're either going to spiral or you're going to tr- do the work to not spiral, but it's going to be work either way. Um, and that's for anybody going through that where it's hard to even pick up the phone or hard to even think good thoughts you know, you have my love and and and, and my empathy because I, I go to this day I still go through that, yeah. um, and uh, uh, on my best days, yeah, everything's worth it. Sure. You know, on the hardest days, on the hardest days, uh, uh, there's a part. <sighs> Let me back up a second. I think, and other people I, I imagine can relate to this, that I'm always having my old self, my addict self, my wanting to free the ambitions, actually medicate and make it all go away. It's always in competition. That's why there is no cure about my addictions or alcoholism. Um, because it's still fighting. It's fighting. Now, the religious zealots might say, well, that's the devil just doing jumping jacks, waiting for you to get weak. Well, I don't like to use the words weak too much anymore or strong or being the fierce warrior. Um, You know, some people say keeping it real. Uh, (laughs) For us trauma survivors, sometimes it's very difficult keeping things real. Um, So that's... you know, doing something good for yourself. I mean, I've been there. I've been that depressed person where I couldn't get out of bed. Slept 15, 16, 18 hours. So my back hurt so bad or I had to go to the bathroom. I had to get up. So I can relate. It's not like I'm reading out of a textbook about this stuff or, you know, Russell Crowe movie. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, um, 
That's what I do. I am um, my mom. So to talk about, I had to call and apologize to my mom. She, my mom straight up said, "Sweetie, that's okay," because I've said some really hurtful things to my mom, and she's not here to apologize to. And I still think about it. And but I remember the love that she gave me, as a way of knowing I'm okay. And so I guess I'll take her advice on that of just remembering the love someone showed you um, and that you're okay. It's not necessarily going to make you feel whole or better, but can we get you through that moment? You know, like alcohol anonymous says, talk about 24 hours. Get through the 24 hours. Yeah. Get through it. Um, and you know, because um, I remember all our conversations, just yeah. let's get you through the 24 hours. It's baby steps, you know, uh, for anybody... And last but not least, if you have the ability to watch the Inch Speech by Al Pacino from any given Sunday, yeah, that's there's a there is and it's something uh, my best friend who passed turned me on to, and it's a speech. Um, it's a, they're football players, and Al Pacino's the coach, and uh, uh, he talks about an Inch Speech, and. Uh, basically is trusting your teammates around you and that together, now your teammate might be, you might be by yourself, you might not have a teammate, but you're crawling for inches. And those inches turn into yards, those yards turn into... Now that's for the, the time where it's for being a warrior. That's not for every time, but there is yeah. a time, uh, especially for me to get into the shower and get from the bed to the shower, to the breakfast... To all the regular things that's going to give me the option for a healthy day. Mm -hmm. Those are calling for inches. That's what I mean by that. And then there's another football statement. And I don't even watch football. But, <laughs> but I've got some great stuff. And one of it is in this movie called The Replacements. And, uh, and I think this is where it becomes, I think a lot about with your question of like what, who, somebody, what's your advice to somebody feeling in a very similar situation that situation I call quicksand. And what that is is, uh, again, the coach is looking at the, the team and saying, what's your fear? And the quarterback answers quicksand. And he's like, oh, you feel like you're going to die in the desert? No. That means like when you're on the football field and you make a play and it doesn't go right. And the harder that you try, the worse it gets until everything's in slow motion and you're going into quicksand. I feel that way like half the day, every day. And it's a coping mechanism. And sometimes I can just get through it, like throwing myself just into work. As you know, I haven't I've talked to too many people lately. I'm just going to throw myself into work. Well, that didn't work out so good for me because mm. now I burnt myself out and got all angry about things. It actually worked against me. You said that's been coming up for you lately. Yeah. The anger I, piece. I, I, got, I blew up at work a couple of times. Uh, uh, didn't do so well. Embarrassed myself. Acted like a little kid. Um, and, uh, so now I have to reevaluate that brings me right. Boy, I'll, sh I'll still shake things up. Just like before I go down for the count, I'm going to shake it up <laughs> and then force myself into a situation I have to take care of. Yeah. Um, and it is a big deal, but it isn't comparatively to what I've done in my past. And so I'm just going to suck it up, but I'm going to be honest about it. You had that phrase that I like so much, um, that you were saying, I was like, I don't know what was asking you something like, what's the biggest difference since you've been sober so long? And you said something mm -hmm. along the lines of uh, um, the biggest difference. Well, you say it. Well, <laughs> the, the, the statement goes uh, that some people will change their behavior to meet their goals. Um, Such so as, for example, if you have a night job, an overnight job, you get enough sleep during the day that you can stay awake for your job at night. Or if you have something that's physically, uh, it's very hard physically, then you get in better shape to be able to handle the job. Or you eat better. And another person will change their behavior, to make, change their goals to meet their behavior. Such as when I would do narcotics, I would only work night jobs because that was when I was awake. And so that's been a big difference for me, is changing my behavior to meet my goals or... If I start doing the opposite of that, changing my goals and my behavior, then taking a good hard look at what's going on yeah. with that. Does that make sense? That makes so much sense to me. I just it's that phrase makes me think about so many situations and people differently. Yeah. Because you can once you think in those terms, 
you can start to think about it with just about everyone, you know, not in a judgmental way, but just like, would this person's life be easier if they didn't lower them, lower their goals and their aspirations to meet the way they tend to behave? Right. You know, and what, what can I do differently? Yeah, I always thought that was really powerful. Yeah, it's uh, it starts in combination of like coping mechanisms too, uh, how I cope with emotions and how I cope with uh, everyday trials and tribulations, um, uh, understanding that the world isn't always fair. Hmm. Uh, the miracle is when it is fair. Yeah. Um, and that. Um, it's also helped me to weed out, or another term of trim away the fat and get right to the heart of things, uh, where I'm going to, um, <clears throat> for example, if I'm feeling like I have low self-esteem that day, maybe I won't try to do anything beyond my scope because I'm not feeling like I either deserve it or that I can handle it, and I start spiraling that way with those kind of thoughts uh, as opposed to it's like if I'm feeling uh, like I need to change some behavior like why you know why am I watching action movies at three in the morning <laughs> knowing full well that's going to affect my sleep and knowing full well that I have to be up at 8 30 in the morning why am I doing this um, what's going on uh, uh, what I get afraid of is justifying bad behaviors with res maybe I'm resentful or I'm turning my maybe I'm getting uh, resentful usually stems from some part of the ego uh, you know and I'm starting to I feel stronger if I'm turning the unhealthy behaviors onto something or somebody else and I start making those stronger in me that I feel justified for acting the way I'm acting or feeling the way I'm feeling mm -hmm. instead of turning the, the hard microscope the truth onto what's going on with me um, becomes the world it isn't the world's responsibility to adapt to me um, then again it becomes really hard to figure out where do I adapt to and I feel good about as well yeah. and finding my place in things but that's my responsibility um, and if we're at a, if one is at a point where they're having a hard time with that we really need to seek an outside source to help circumvent that, supervise it. Um, that was the whole thing behind these programs that I was involved in is for accountability, supervision. Um, before I make a decision on my own, I check with somebody. Uh, and that still to this day becomes daunting because I never really chose to do that when I was young because I chose not to trust anybody's opinion, mm -hmm. nor did I want the hard truth either. You talked a lot of, in the last like hour about um, justifying different behaviors. I want to flip that around a little bit because a lot of people talk about the shame aspect of being a survivor and that it might take them years to feel like they deserve to get better. Do you feel you can justify success in your life hope joy being a happy person contentment can you justify that or do you feel like there are parts of yourself that maybe are like deliberately hold you back like the anger or whatever interesting you bring that up it's something i've thought about um maybe not in exact that exact process uh i it's a, you know i have a hard time using the word believe because it feels like I'm selling myself on something that may or may not be real. Mm. Um, but there are times I need to have conviction in something. If I'm putting out positive energy, if I'm putting out love, it'll s start to surround myself and draw me to those and draw people to that and draw me to those people. And if I start thinking negative things, I'm going to draw to people with the same behaviors. Um, so what? when we talk in terms of the question of justifying success... That is how I look at it is if I've chose to put out, 
I use it as a, well, the trickle-down process. If I'm feeling positive, I'll have a trickle-down process to someone else. Maybe that person will want like something. Like a water ripple effect. Yeah, kind of water thing. ripple effect. Yeah. And people will maybe want that or just surround myself. I've had friends call and go, I needed a little dose of Joshua today. <laughs> and that was different than back in the day when people would wonder, God, if I hang out with this guy, will I even be in town for the next three days or am I going to be okay you know, am I going to be able to go back to work on Monday? Well, that must feel good that you know that you're someone else's inspiration. Absolutely. That means everything to me. And it gives me uh, that semblance of validity and that idea that uh, of a purpose. Uh, it, and it justifies having some good things in my life. Um, uh, those good things a lot of times are tools uh, to or a conduit, such as... I have a drum, you know, when I play drums, I create music. Well, I can create music on this table or I can create music over here. It doesn't necessarily mean that. But if I have something nice in my life, do I feel like I deserve that? If the means to the end is of something positive, yes. And then that justifies it, the intent. Um, uh, then it feels real. It feels honest and real and that tangible. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but these things that create that environment of of emotion and of of well-being is what i'm putting out i get back in you know uh we talk about definition of insanity as being doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results Mm -hmm. uh and i find that to have a truth but i also find that you know when we find something that does work then that repetition does matter and the discipline to keep the repetition is what becomes very, very difficult, is that discipline. And um, that's what I found a hard part with it, not only emotionally, but physically, the discipline. You know, uh, when I've hit rock bottom in the past is when I've become the most disciplined. I sit in enough pain, I become disciplined because I don't want to sit in that pain any longer. But my threshold, what we talked about earlier, of pain is pretty large. Yeah. And it's become... Uh, now at my at this age, it's become unbearable. Was there a time when you were using that pain was like a felt like a safe place for you? Mm-hmm. Just Absolutely. So familiar. So familiar. That's what I deserved. That's what I what I, what I would uh, what I was avoiding. I'd bring on tenfold, and then just you know, that was a big part. It's big cycle, big cycle. If you had to the opportunity to speak to someone who has had a, an experience disclosing what's happened to them and, and maybe it wasn't a good experience. Like they, maybe, like you said, 10 years later, they got up the guts and they said it to someone and it was maybe greeted with shame, blame, denial, something like that. If, if you had a chance to speak to someone like that right now, what do you have to say to them? Um, not everyone's like that. Um, I've made many choices in my life of sharing things with people and it worked opposite for me to the point where it's like, why even try? All right. And then I started because it's easier to just compartmentalize everybody into one category and to not trust. It's harder on our bodies, but we, th- I think it's easier in the beginning, much harder in the end because it reminds me of the person that just gives with no expectation of getting back. But once that person is hurt, they have no idea other than just to go completely cold. And it hurts that person worse than anything because it's not who they are. And that's where it gets me is I wasn't built for, you know, in the, in the beginning, I was, I was built for love and I was built for, and I think that it comes from my mom, so much affection, even so much, there's so much struggle, but so much affection. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I didn't close off that affection and I didn't close off the ability to soak that in and to digest that um, which makes being negative very confusing <laughs> and very and it 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 uh, it it, uh, um, it, uh, d- it doesn't give it the strength I want it doesn't give the negativity the strength I want to be able to remain in denial completely yeah. I was like one step in one step out um, so the only thing I can think about is that, uh, 
if I at least act as if and stay positive, I'll create the energies around me to stay positive and at least I won't have total negativity come my way or walk my way into it without seeing it. I mean, there's things in life that are uncontrollable and that's where well, not a control issues. So I'm sure that I'm not the only person with them uh, because of what we've went through mm -hmm. um, where we need to control our environment around us. And the minute we start feeling out of control, it reminds us of all the other stuff that was out of control. And it gets weird. It gets really weird. So last question. And then after this, you can say whatever you feel like saying. I'll just open it up for you. Sure. Um, what does 50-year-old Joshua have to say to 8-year-old Joshua? Uh, I love you. Just plainly, I love you. And uh, sorry that happened. And uh, uh, you didn't deserve any of that. Yeah. You know, you didn't at all. You know, we weren't born in this life for that type of behavior to happen to us, to so that we became the people we did. And thank God we were good people to begin with. You're a good person. That's what I would say back. You're a good person. That's amazing because so many people go to a point of, uh, you know, if I knew then what I know now, and they go to a point of judgment or pointing the finger or don't, you know, don't get on drugs or don't this or don't that instead of you just went immediately to acceptance and love. Yeah. Heals a lot of things, doesn't it? It sure does. And, uh, um, not everybody gets the opportunity to discover they're the most beautiful parts about themselves because we get so caught up in dealing with the therapeutic and uh, the other part um, that we have to remember. One, I have to remember. Two, as I'm rebuilding and rewiring, to capitalize on the strengths, accept the limitations to digest, to deal with what we can as opposed to what we can't. Mm -hmm. And uh, the rest, you know, we just have to uh, have faith. You know, have faith. Yeah. You know, I'm not always talking to, you know, whatever that means to that person, you know, to have faith. And uh, uh, that becomes, I know, really hard for all of us to do, but it's a necessary part of what we have to deal with. That's for sure. Well, I am amazingly grateful that you've been on the program and given me so many hours of your time now to talk about this stuff that um, I think you had mentioned you hadn't maybe talked to it to a ton of people, talked about it with a ton of people. Not at all. I think you're probably the fifth person. Well, thank you fifth for everything and all your volunteering with the Kelly Nicole Foundation and believing that there could be such thing as a music-based philanthropic organization. I know there's still some people looking at me like, but I don't get it. What are you trying to do? And I'm like... Just hang in there. You'll get it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it's like the, 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 the sun side to the grasshopper. It's like in, in, that's wisdom. Yeah. It's, it's, it's some things won't be clear for a long, long time. And, you know, uh, have faith in the process that it's good for you. Yeah. And that some things uh, hopefully will clear up or something better will come in its place. That will make things clear. And, uh uh, everybody has their own process. And I wanted to say thank you to you, not only for the beautiful friendship that happened out of tragedy, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and that I had the opportunity to be on this program and uh, to continue the work that you've started. And that you should, I just, you know, as I've once said when we first met, and, you know, I know those things come down. It's like, well, he's saying all the right bumper sticker propaganda to make me feel better. <laughs> but I meant everything that I said, and I still do that, that, that Kelly's watching down on this. It's not because we're on, we're on our, uh, we're not on our own, but we, we're still living entities on this physical planet of this earth. Mm -hmm. We're still in our physical bodies. Would be very proud and relieved to know that it's going this way. Um, and to be so proud of what you're doing, uh, it's required an amazing amount of strength to know your background, to know the tenacity and the warrior spirit you have, and to, to be rebuilding. And so I'm, it's as much of an honor for me to be here, 
to share uh, my past and and um, it, it it I hope it helps other people or people can make sense of it and digest it to their own situation and and to let everybody else know that um, I love you and and that you you are loved you are so loved. Well, that's amazing. I'm I've met a few people since we started this whole thing who knew her years and years and years ago and didn't find out until after. And I'm so grateful that you were able to even just see her for a day. Oh, me too. Oh you my know, God. I mean, you, you, you would have missed it by the skin of your teeth. Yep. You um, at least got to see, see her face one more time. I think it was, it was a Friday when I came over and she passed, uh, was the listening party Saturday or Sunday? Saturday. Saturday we had the album finished. Okay. It was on a little flash drive. Yeah. Put it in the receiver and then the next day she passed. Yeah, I tell you it's just what. just the timing is crazy of, of everything, the way it went down. It, you know, it's interesting because, uh, I mean, there's been people at a restaurant that I recognize that might be going through something or they'll wear something. And I'll say, hey, uh, you know, it looks like you're supporting some causes. Can I show you something? <laughs> and I've, I've literally had people eating lunch watching her documentary. No way. But yeah, and, and I, you know, I said, if you're going to support something, I mean, if you're going out there, because there are some people just need to give money to something to feel good. Yeah. Hey, thank you for that. You know, some people need want to feel a part of something. Well, if you want something authentic and real and 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 that you can hold and help people, this is the the cause. It's so interesting you say that because when you when I drive you home right now, I have to come back here tonight and then write an email to someone of what does the Kelly Nicole Foundation do? Because I'm putting together a, another speaker program, a documentary view, screening, and then there'll be a panel. Oh. And we've got some people who are maybes, and they want to know, okay, but if people donate to the Kelly Nicole Foundation, what is it that you do? And it's like, it's not an easy answer, because I can't say, well, we gave a million dollars to starving kids, and just write right. it real quick and easy. I'm still trying to think how to put it into words. So if someone came to you right now, you're at that lunch with them, they look at the video, um, the documentary on YouTube, um, and they say, okay, what does the Kelly Nicole Foundation do? What does it mean to anyone? If you had to answer that, what would you say? Oh. Uh, it's always interesting because my dad was a grant writer yeah. for a nonprofit organization. And so I was able to see a, he struggled with how do I put this as a business? Yeah, like and yet still remain the spiritual feeling behind it and also the, the, the true endeavors. But also the people I'm approaching are used to reading templates of businesses. So how do I word this in a, a way that puts the full weight of the spirituality of the program yeah. while still being able to get somebody's business mind to go, okay, because right. there are quite... Like, know. what is the value of, of the documentary? What is the value of someone with an eating disorder hearing her album for the first time and saying, you know what, I, I deserve to get better? You know, what? how do I put a value to that? How do I tell someone that's worth 100 bucks? You know, do you know what I mean? I, uh, you know, there's been times where I've, I've had to put things in a language that people will understand. And a lot of times it would be like, I'm here to support with faith, hope, and love. But also, some of these things require a donation in order to have tangible products. Like mics. You know, <laughs> yeah, to be able to record this podcast. Exactly. We need a certain things to be able to, we need food to survive, and I need to go to work for that. Yeah. A, lot of the, a lot of people that are dealing with this aren't able to even go, get, get out of bed to go to work. Mm -hmm. But they want help, and they want somebody to, to help support. So I ask for your personal help. To be able to to help support it, um, and you know, if, if if we get the message out to a lot of people and they choose to support that after they've heard the message mm -hmm. of what we're doing, and the message is that you are loved. But I just hope that, like, if people hear this podcast, that um, if they don't know or they think they don't know anyone who's been touched by trauma, I hope that they think again and just kind of think twice and think before they laugh or joke about someone or something like that, you know, that they think, okay, wow, this really stays with a person for the rest of their life. It doesn't make them weak. It doesn't make them attention seekers. Um, that maybe they just listen a little bit more. And again, I don't know how to put a value on that where, where someone should give us 150 bucks because we're creating a space where someone feels like they have the right to heal. But I think that is worth money. And, and ask somebody else to put uh, with their value system to yeah. understand our value system. And hopefully it's on the same page. I am, um, reminds me of a lot of news reports I've been reading. And these are hard for me to read. 
where uh, these reports are supporting males that are hurting females. Now, it's starting to talk a little bit more about the males that have gotten hurt, but we know there's a stigma behind this. And that's part of the reason I'm on here as well. Um, Nevertheless, there's being weight and power given to, say, the people being hired on the Supreme Court and people that are being hired in a a situation that can take these resources that can help people. And they're siding with people that are doing bad things. Yeah. At least that's what the news reports are saying. Now, I'm, I'm no expert. Happened in front of all of our eyes. And it's happening. And so what I ask is that, and that, that's why we're having to take it to the streets like we are, so to speak, is, is because the stigmas and the per- are still just as strong. It's becoming really more out in the open than it has in the 50s. But nevertheless, it's very strong. I can attest to uh, having a female roommate and a stalker. And I and I went out and talked to the stalker, and I called the police because he was so scary. And they turned it on to her, and they believed him. Did he say we were, that he, they that were dating her? That he was her, her uncle. Her uncle. Oh, that's gross. I mean, it went down to, like, them questioning me. And that's like, so easily disprovable. Oh, uh, t- totally. And it's like, you know, how much are, you know, is going... First, we're dealing with stigmas of the society, of, of a male-dominated society, okay? Then we're dealing with these old-school stigmas mm-hmm. that are now becoming our new-school stigmas that are filtering over. And I think that, unfortunately, a lot of people are in denial of, of what happens at home. And, and uh, some of these things get supported because of fear of being found out, um, a fear of like I really made a wrong decision. Um, if you're, there's a part of a great movie uh, called The Boondock Saints, and at the very beginning, I'm going to make it real short on this. The only the the the, the pastor or priest is saying the only diff- only only thing worse than a than a bad person doing evil is a good person who sees the evil and does nothing, indifference, and that's what I'm starting to see people have really terribly is indifference mm. to it. Either I've got to deal with my own self, I don't have time for this, or this and that. That is why this program is needed, yeah. you know, in a lot of ways. It's because we are not indifferent. We, we see it. We experience it. We have been going through it. We are on the front lines of trying to, deal, uh, of, of, of trying to help people. Uh, and, you know, bottom line is, 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 and between you and I, is people want to be involved in something. They just want to know it's real. Yeah. And, it's, and they can have something to believe in. This is going out, and, and, and it's a big part of why I've come on the program after years of being silent uh, about things. I think this is the longest I've ever talked about it. Well, thank um, you. I know I've dragged you across the coals oh, tonight. You know you did. You did. It was. I think uh, it's important that a guy talks about this because there's like, there's a different piece to it when you're also having like your masculinity challenge, especially at the age that you did. Talk about being emasculated to the highest form. Um, I, you know, as I, as I mentioned in part one of our interview, um, if we caught this anyway, uh, I was not raised to know right or wrong, like a man should be with a woman or a man should be with a man. My mom kind of just let me figure it out. She kind of like peace and love in the big van. And yeah, the- pretty much. And she was the, my, my dad would be the Martin Luther King. He was like, go on, <laughs> kick some butt. If anybody, my dad, of the four times I met him, he was like, Josh, if anybody talks about anybody badly, they're talking about you and you just turn around and swing. My mom's like, you, it, it, I don't think Martin Luther King might have said that. Well, back before he went to Mecca, it was his. It was it Malcolm. Was, you're talking Malcolm, about Malcolm. Uh, Malcolm X. Yeah, not Martin Luther. Excuse me. My mom would be Martin Luther. My dad would have been Martin Malcolm. Luther King. Turn around yeah. and swing. It rhymes. No, at no, least. that would be the Malcolm before pre Mecca, of course. Um, I know exactly what you're talking. Yeah, about. Uh, thank you for that correction. Um, and uh, you know, I'm taught. You know, what is a man? What's masculine? I mean, these are things we know in society. Uh, sensitivity, uh, crying in public, all those kind of things that, you know, uh, plus, you know, the magazines not only uh, work against women, how you should look, you're too big, you're too small, you're too tall, you're too short, this isn't big enough, this is not big enough. Oh, my God. I mean, the things Never we ends. do to ourselves just to appear in public, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you yeah. know. Okay, let me even get further into it. There are some things so deep in our subconscious has been built 
That's why I call it DNA. That even though you know it's propaganda that's taught you that you ha should have a bigger chest as a woman, you still feel better. I had a woman break up with me because we were on the verge of like, we wanted to get married. And she goes, Josh, I grew up on a farm, which I was, thank God she broke it off. <laughs> but I grew up on a farm that a blue-eyed, blonde-haired guy is what I'm supposed to marry. No way. Yep. And even though you're the best candidate for me to get married to, I'll never feel right at home. First of all, if someone calls you a candidate, that's the time to walk away. Right. Well, I think I'm making that up. I think I'm, oh, making, okay. I, I'm embellishing on that one. I was worried or, there. Or, I mean, for lack of remembering. But um, she was saying, you're the one. Yeah. You know, you're obviously the but one But you didn't fit me. what she had been taught. And you know, not only that, but she's basing her approval on somebody who taught her hate. And, oh. and so thank God you did break it off before me because we would have gone through years of trying to, you know, and so, yeah, yeah her what family. What your kids have dealt with if her, their grandparents were anti-Semitic? Her family was more important, even though they taught her hate and her approval. But she was honest with me. She was. She goes, this approval that's in my head, I don't think it's healthy, but it's there. And I've dealt with this with other relationships. Yeah. And, you know, it made it a lot easier to swallow that she was honest, at least with me. But my point being... Do you see, even though she knew it was wrong, she still felt better with it. So am I here to, so I'm trying to figure, pick my, my, my battles here of what I say is really bad or wrong or this with people or anything or judgments of anybody else or what they go through because it can seem confusing. Here, you know that's wrong, but you're still feeling better with it. Did you ever have a uh, disclosure experience with someone you were dating? Yes, yes. Um, once. Once, just one. Yeah. Just one. And her and I are still friends to this okay. day. To this day. Um, yeah. She was she was one. And I, I think that was my first real attempt to, like, this is a really good person in front of me. And there were certain, some emotional things starting to happen. I later learned that it would have happened regardless of my trauma or not. Uh, what I, actually, uh, hard to say. Hard to say. That's something I'm still figuring out. However, uh, she was somebody that I felt I needed to share more with. I wanted to go deeper. Mm -hmm. um, and she was the one person I always felt accepted me for who I am. I just felt felt it. It wasn't the word she said. It was the feeling I had. Yeah. Um, a certain comfortability. You know, and that goes back to like, what would you tell somebody that's having a hard time? I mean, think of the one person you feel the most comfortable with and call them. And just say, I need to talk to you right now. Right now. You know, can you do it? Can you do it? And if not, is there a place I can wait for you? You know, or something. Uh, That's really good advice. Because you feel like you're... Uh, you, people don't respect the urgency. Like when I was putting our website together, KellyNicole.com, mm -hmm. I was like, uh, I was looking for like suicide resources right for people on the edge and like just to have a few things on the website kellynicole.com slash crisis is the part of our website that i'm talking about um and i want just a few resources not over wordy just quick here's a number here's a link quick 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 and then uh and i saw in some of the suicide resources uh it said 911 and i called someone who's a therapist and who deals with this for a living i was like i literally asked her can you call 911 if you're suicidal and she was like yes like, people don't know that. That's a human life in danger. How is that any different than if you saw someone had gotten run over by a truck, right. you'd call 911. Absolutely. But if your own life is in danger, I don't, I don't know if people think to do that, but that is a crisis resource. People forget. It's, ours may not look physical, but it truly should be treated the same, and it isn't. Mental illness. Mental and emotional illness is not more treated the same as, as a medical, uh, as, a, as a physical as something visible. Yeah. Um, and that's ties into status. It ties into a lot of things I'm not real happy with. Yeah. You know, and I think that's where we're getting back to a male. The male's coming out because we're taught to be fix-it people that we can't be showing weakness, um, how we're viewed, particularly the demographics that come from. I mean, I only did I live in the city, but I lived on a farm. You oh, know? you did? Oh, yeah, for four years. And I experienced, I was told, you can't have a Thanksgiving turkey unless you kill this turkey. Oh, Jesus. I was forced to kill a turkey or not eat. Now, would I, they still fed me? Probably. But can you imagine three guys laughing around a 12-year-old kid telling him to kill something unless, or you're not eating? 
And then, you know, um, that's the mentality I'm dealing with, you know, that I've dealt with. I felt like I was in a Stephen King book, escaping from there, and I got a thousand zombies chasing me behind me. It's like old school masculinity, right? Right. Old, that's where I get into that old, and it's still just as prevalent, but now it's become a little more refined, so to speak, you know, a little... Between the lines. Between the lines, even, yeah, hidden or um, conditional. Sure, you conditional. Yeah, you can be open, sensitive, conditionally. Wow. You know. Um, well, I think your voice in this interview is, you know, helping other people find theirs and helping other people have an alternative to that. If this happened to you or if you go to talk about it or, or say you want some resources to help put your mind back together, that you're less of a man or something, I think you're a good antidote to that in the way that you were able to speak out in the last couple hours. Oh, oh thank, thank you again Absolutely. for the opportunity. and. And uh, for anybody out there that is struggling, going, I don't have the energy or the will to want to take myself out, but this is just too much work. I deal with that too. And, and sometimes a daily basis, even at 50. And I just, uh, I, I just want you to know that, that you're loved and that, that it, it's so important that at least we get, we, we, That if we, if I feel now, this isn't for everybody, but I feel that if I allow myself to get so rattled, say about racism, which I do, I can't even watch movies like that, or rape, I can't watch movies like that because I experienced that. Um, that we need you. You're needed. You're not just loved, but you're needed on this earth. You're needed on this planet. You're wanted. You're needed. You're loved. Hey, if you know enough foods out there, GMO, are we going to learn the garden? Then maybe we should learn the garden together. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you, Teresa. Get the music behind the mission. Hate Becoming by Kelly Nicole on iTunes and Spotify. If you guys haven't checked out the merch table, join the movement. Buy the album. Get your Kelly Nicole band merch and donate what you can at kellynicolefoundation.org. Courage is Amplified!